Welcome to another episode of the Hoop Talk Podcast by fans for fans. I'm Ryan. There's my guy, Jalen. What's up, everybody? This podcast is where we discuss all things basketball, so expect a lot of hot takes, debates, and true display of basketball knowledge. Let's get right into it. Our topics for today's episode are all about the NCAA tournament. We're going to talk about a team that we believe was snubbed, a dark horse team, a team on upset alert, and so many more topics. But we had to bring a guest on for this episode. Two guests, actually, from All Facts Media. Please welcome Aaron Robinson and Andrew Robinson. How's it going, guys? Thanks for having us today, man. How you feeling, bro? Feeling good, man. I- I'm excited to talk some so much madness, man. I think this bracket is it's something, man. This tournament is going to be something else. So I'm excited to, to dive into it and, uh, and talk about it, man. Favorite time of the year. For sure. So there was something that Aaron and Andrew and I talked about before the show and something interesting that they told me. They played for a D1 school. So what school did you guys play for? Yeah, so we, we played at Quinnipiac for four years, and we played at Coppin State. So we, we played uh, in the MAC, Quinnipiac, basically up in, uh, in Camden, Connecticut. Um, the MAC is a school, basically in New, New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. So it's uh, the Jersey schools are St. Peter's, Ryder, Monmouth. Connecticut schools are Quinnipiac and Fairfield. And then the New York schools is uh, Iona, Manhattan, Niagara, Canisius, Siena, and Marist. So 11 schools, really good league, um, really good coaches. Um, when we were in school, Iona won four straight championships in that league, and then they obviously just won uh, the other day. They won, they won their fifth championship in the last six years. Obviously, Patino is the coach at Iona this year. Um, so there is a really good mid-major league. And then we grad transferred to Coppin State for our graduate year. We played in the MEAC. Um, obviously, you know, North Carolina Central, North Carolina a Howard, uh, Norfolk State won the league this year. Um, we didn't get to finish our season last year because of the coronavirus. We were actually in um, Norfolk getting ready to play in our conference tournament when um, when the news broke about Gobert and everything, and they canceled the conference tournaments and everything. So didn't get to finish our conference, our college season, you know, the way that we wanted to. But, you know, now we're running this platform called All Facts Media, um, reporting on some college basketball, covering, you know, covering college hoops. We got our own podcast um, called The Auto Bid, and we talk about mid-major basketball. Got a website, social media, YouTube. So doing a little bit of everything. Awesome. That's great to hear. That's great to hear. So let's just get right into it. I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, the first question that we're going to address is one team that we believed got snubbed from the NCAA tournament. Aaron, I'm going to start with you on this one. Who was one team that you believed was snubbed and why? I think Colorado State was snubbed. I think Colorado State was one of the best 68 teams in the field. Obviously, they were in the Mountain West. Um they were half game back in the record season championship in the Mountain West. Um, they split with Boise, split with San Diego State, split with Utah State. Um, and we watched this team. And I think, you know, the eye test would tell you that, that you know, they're, they're a really good team. They made it to the semis at the Mountain West championship and lost to Utah State. Um, the problem with them was obviously they didn't really have any huge wins in the non-conference. So that that obviously hurt them. But, you know, it ain't, you, you beat San Diego State, you beat Utah State, you beat Boise State, you know, three really good teams, all like top 50-ish top 75 caliber teams and the net quad one um, caliber teams. Uh, I think, I think they deserve to be in the tournament. Um, in my opinion, um, nothing will hurt them out here. Like I said, they didn't have any, they didn't really do much in a non-conference. They lost by 20 to St. Mary's, which was probably their best opportunity to get a good win. Um, and then obviously they didn't um, do enough in the uh, conference tournament. You know, you make it to the semifinal round and you lose to Utah State who ended up getting in. Utah State really, cause they were obviously on, on the bubble as well. And they kind of played themselves into the tournament, you know, in the conference tournament, they had to make it all the way to the championship game. But um, 
I think Colorado State deserved deserved to be in. So I was kind of disappointed uh, that that they didn't get in. Andrew, do you agree with Colorado State, or do you see another team that should have been the tournament? You know, I I agree. I think um, I agree with Colorado State. I think a lot of people would jump to, let's say, a Louisville um, or like a St. Louis. And um, for me, for me personally, I don't I don't I don't feel sorry for high majors that don't get in the tournament. Like I just feel like most times it's the teams like you know the Monmouth of a few years ago, Justin Robinson that got snubbed. Um, it was a Drexel team a few years ago that that literally like won the CA regular season and lost to I believe VCU in the CA championship that got snubbed should have been in. I think it happens to mid-majors all the time. Um, so I was happy that for the most part, like a lot of mid-majors got in, they, 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 they put Drake in, put Wichita State in, put Utah State in. Um, so I was happy to see that. Um, a lot of people will probably point to, you know, Louisville and ACC, but I don't, I don't think they should have been in. Um, and then a lot of people are gonna say St. Louis as well. Um, but like we, we covered the A-10 the whole year. Um, at, at all facts and like St. Louis just had some bad losses. Like they, they lost to Dayton, uh, lost to LaSalle in the A-10. Like, I mean, it's a team that was top 25 at one point before they had all those COVID pauses. So, but I think um, that is really what hurt St. Louis. So, I mean, you know, being a, a mid-major advocate, you know, I would like to see, you know, them maybe get a chance, but I don't really think, I can't say that they, they deserve to be in the tournament. It was kind of being like, you know, I would like to see them. Um, maybe even a Belmont, you know, Belmont went on a 21 game win streak um earlier in the season so you know obviously they had a, a injury to their best player which kind of hurt them you know which is again like another maybe i think they had like 26 wins i want to say um so i mean it's tough man we have a team like that that doesn't get in and jalen i want to pick up on that point and andrew mentioned that they had a 21 game win streak they finished out the season with 26 wins do you think that belmont should have been considered for the ncaa tournament I mean, everything points to it is so, I mean, one of the bigger things that stood out for me overall, I think I think you both touched on it a lot in terms of the high major, because one of the easiest things that came to my mind was Louisville as well. Of course, they're one of the first ones sitting out, you know, due to a lot of the COVID stuff in terms of any substitutions that need to be made. Um, I think that there's a lot of different ways that you can look at it. I, I think what I want to get you guys' is, um, take on with something, though, is that you guys mentioned Drake and Ryan, we had this conversation off camera a lot before we did our first four in and first four out. What do you feel like it was that put them over the top in terms of being selected? Because we had them as a first four out team, and it was like just barely. Even before we started the recording, I told Ryan, I texted him. I still have the text now that said, Ryan, I know we're about to start this recording, but I think Drake's first four in. And I'm just, I'm still trying to figure out, like, what, what do you guys have the perspective on them in terms of them slowly sliding in and making one of those final cuts? I think it was the eye test. I mean, me personally, I think that they look like one of the 64, 68 best teams in the, in the country. When you watch them all year, I talked to Drew about this all year. I mean, they, they, they're a senior, they're a senior lane team that they're really old. They're really good offensively. They shoot the ball really well, but they just find ways to win games. Like, they've been a bunch of games that they've kind of eked out wins, like Missouri State. And um, Valpo, I mean, I remember they in the Illinois State or games that they, that they you know, should have lost and probably could have lost, but they just found ways to win. Even when Hemphill went down, they found a way to get that second one over Lower Chicago, which saved that season because they got split by Lower Chicago. They don't get in the tournament, you know. Actually, that was their only quad one win all year. But then, obviously, they get Hemphill back for the tournament. They just announced that he's going to be he, – he's playing with Wichita. Um, so, he's – I think he was he, – I, th I, think, I think what it came down to for them – Obviously, the metrics weren't great on them because I said only quad one win, didn't really do much in the non-conference. But I think when you watch them play, you can say, all right, when this team is healthy, they're one of the 68 best teams in the in the, in the, in the country. So I think that, that's probably what got them in. And then obviously, I think also 
a lot of teams kind of hurt themselves. Like Boise State played themselves off the bubble. They lost their last four games. They were, to me, they were probably the second best team in the Mountain West behind San Diego mm-hmm. State all year. I, I love Boise State. You know, they're really good. Um, but they 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 imploded. You got you get swept by San Diego State. You lose to Fresno State. Then you lose your first game in the, in the Mountain West tournament to Nevada. Like they lost their last four games of the year. So you're not gonna get into the tournament. You know, losing your last four games. So I think te- teams like that helped helped uh, you know play themselves off the bubble. Obviously, Duke couldn't couldn't finish out the regular season in, in the AC tournament. I don't think they would have gotten anyways. But I think a lot of teams played themselves off of the bubble. St. Louis lost in the A10 tournament. You know, so I think a lot of those teams. I just kind of played themselves off the bubble, you know, down the stretch. Seton Hall had opportunities down the stretch, you know, lost to Georgetown. Um, I mean, it was a bunch of teams that just kind of played their way off the bubble. So the bubble wasn't as wasn't as hard this year as it was. Today. Like, there weren't too many gripes this year with who got in and who got out. You know, like like Louisville, they, they had the opportunity. They were one and six in quad one games. So it was like you can't really – if you're a high-major team with one quad one win – and you play in the ACC, you have opportunities. You're not going to – Plenty. You know what I'm saying? So, it's like you can't really – you can't really be too upset with that. So, I think the team really just played their way off the bubble and it kind of helped the, helped the team like Drake. You know, when you look at that team, you say, all right, this, this team is a team that I think is one of the best 68 in the country and they ended up getting in. I mean, that's why I asked in general, focusing on them, because, like, going back to you guys' question about Belmont, you touched on Boise State, another team that we had touched in in our first four out in terms of how they played themselves out. I think Belmont, when you talk about the stress that they had, I mean, especially towards the back end of the season, one of the biggest things of being a bubble team, I feel like it's always recency bias, right, in terms of being able to move that needle. So the fact that they finished so much stronger, I mean, we had a legitimate debate before we had done our first four in and first four out about Boise State being one of those first four in over even uh, even a Utah State, for example. And Colorado State was a team that we had in the mix as well, obviously, like you said, because they were just behind. But when you look at, like you said, the way those teams progress towards the end of the season, Boise State probably had one of the most significant drop-offs of the year. And I feel like you look at a team on the flip side, like Belmont, who you guys brought up, probably closed the season as, as well as anybody could uh, on top of, you know, having the Ohio they, Valley State the, 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 Conference Belmont, the was the, um, I think Belmont was the injury. When Nick Bajinski got hurt, that's completely screwed the whole season. Up. Right. Best player goes down, doesn't play the last two games, First game in conference tournament, I think he played like 18 minutes. That completely, mm-hmm. that's the, that completely destroyed their rhythm. You know, you win 21 straight games, you lose your best player for the last two games of the regular season, and it just it just threw the, the rhythm completely off. And then you try to work him back in. That's what that's what that's what it came down to for them because he, I, like if he's healthy, then they I think they win the they win the OVC without a question. Obviously, he had a really good game in the championship. I think he had like 21 points or 23 points in the championship game of the OVC, but. I mean, it just, I think it was just their rhythm was just, it wasn't, when he came back, it wasn't the same as what it was. So I think that's what kind of mm. inhibited them. Like you said, as what if you've done for me lately, the eye test, like you think they look like one of the 68 best teams as, a, as an at large? I don't know. So yeah. I think that's what it came down to for them. Yeah, I think another thing too is like the the, the committee looks at the teams like, um, well, you mentioned too, like the receipt by, like, for example, UConn, right? Like UConn had a little stretch where they, when they lost James Booknight, and they were looking kind of mm. shaky. But the tournament mm-hmm. was the committee recognized that he came back. And like the, the UConn team that we're going to see in the tournament is the team that has James Booknight on it. Um, so they didn't, you know, they didn't drop off the bubble. They, you know, they're still solid in the tournament. Uh, I think that kind of hurt Belmont because when your best player is kind of limited to the finish and it's like, ah, he, he's not really going to be 100%. And then you lose in the conference tournament. Like the last t- that time we saw Belmont, Belmont, they were losing to Moorhead State in the OVC title game. And it's kind of like, all right, like, well, what team is this really going to be in the tournament? 
You know what I'm saying? Like Drake, uh, the fact that they're going to be able to get their best player back to the tournament, I think was huge for them too. And as well, Drake also made it to the championship game in the Missouri Valley. So they didn't get upset by anybody in the earlier rounds and the semifinals or the quarterfinal rounds. At least they made it to the championship game and lost to Loyola Chicago. So I think that that helped them as well. Um, you know, that they didn't get picked off early on in the conference tournament. Um, so, I mean, I think when you look at teams like Drake, you know, Belmont, um, I think that's really, those, for those two teams, I think it reads just like, you know, what, what they were able to do um, as far as injuries and getting their guys back in the fold. Speaking of one of many teams that could be great in this tournament, let's talk about a dark horse team in the NCAA tournament. This time I'm going to start with Andrew. Who is one dark horse team in the NCAA tournament? Um, so are we going dark horse team as in like to win it all or a dark horse team that maybe just to like advance? Yeah, dark horse team to win it all. Dark horse team to win it all. That's a great question, man. Um, I think if I had to pick one team, I mean, Illinois is not a dark horse. They're, I guess they're one seed, but I think that they have the best chance given the way that, that they're playing right now, coming off, you know, a Big Ten title. They have Iowa Sumo, but – I think if I'm going to go a dark horse team to win it all, I'm going to go Texas, Texas Longhorns. And I would say just because um, they're playing great basketball right now, man. Obviously, they won the Big 12. Um, they're really athletic. We know Shaka Smart is a great coach. And um, they just have a talented team, man. I mean, um, Matt Coleman is talented. Greg Brown is a potential first-round pick. Um, Courtney Ramey is a great player. You know, they have just a lot of guys. Obviously, we know what Andrew Jones can do. Um, they're just, they're really talented, man. I think that they can defend their athletic um, and they're playing great basketball right now. You know, I think there's something to be said about teams, you know, who are playing well at the right time. Um, I guess another one will be Alabama. Um, I don't want to steal Ace's Thunder here. I don't, I don't know. That's crazy. Know. <laughs> All right, so I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and let Ace talk about, about Alabama. I knew he was going to say that. So I'm gonna go my dark horse is in Texas, and I'll leave, I'll leave it at that. Now I I love Alabama, man. Like I I cannot I love 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 Alabama. I love Nate. Oh, they remind me a lot of that team in Auburn that went to the Final Four a couple of years ago. Um, just like an electric team, great guards, Devon Kennedy, Herb Jones is, is amazing on both sides of the ball. I mean, they have they can they can beat you so many ways. But the thing about Alabama is that they last year they think they were they were um, they, they didn't defend last year, but this year they really defend, man. And Nate always had those guys guarding at a high level. And they're extremely, extremely dangerous. I have them coming out of that East region, depending on the health of Isaiah Livers. Um, if he's not healthy, Michigan isn't getting past. I don't know, I don't know if they get past around 32. Because I'm pretty sure they might mm-hmm. play St. Bonnie's in the, in the second in the second round. Look at the bracket. They have, they have a tough – yeah, they're going to play St. Bonnie's or LSU in around the 32. And that could get crazy if they don't have Isaiah Livers. But then, you know, you, you do get past that game. Um, in the Sweet 16, you could potentially see a Florida State with Leonard Hamilton. We know those guys every year are, are – Eleven out in March, so I think I think Alabama has a great chance to get to the Final Four. And the way they match up, like I said, they have size. They are so deep. Like you know, at every position, you guys got like Josh Primo and Jordan Bruno on the wing, and John Petty that can fill it up. I mean, they they are so many different weapons. And like I said, they, they really they defend this year, but and they can go out there and score at ninety. So I think they're a team that is going to be extremely extremely dangerous. I have them. I actually had them in the final four. That, a lot of that would depend on the health of Isaiah Livers. But I think I think they can they can win that East region and make it to a final four. And then at that point, I think they'll just if she can zag in the final four, that that'd be attracting first to hundred. So uh, <laughs> I, I really like Alabama, man. They're extremely I think coaching is is a is a extremely um important this this time of year and they oats is one of the best in the country. So I I like I really like Alabama. 
And the thing with Alabama was that I actually made an argument for them being a one seed over Illinois based off a of conference record, based off of, of their worst loss. Alabama's worst loss was early in the year against Stanford. And I believe Illinois' worst loss was against Maryland in that close loss um, as they were ranked the third best team in the country at the time. So I thought it was a very close debate. I think Illinois, especially with their big conference win to capture the Big Ten championship, I think that was huge for them. But Jalen, I want to transition the question to you because we know Texas and Alabama, those are two teams that have a, a they have a pretty good chance to win the NCAA championship. Who is one surprise team that you believe could go to the final four? Because every year we see a 10 seed or an 11 seed go to the final four and make a run. Who's that low seed that you believe could make a run to the final four? In terms of like a low seed, I mean, I don't know about final four, but I think a team that's like extremely dangerous in that uh, ilk is Syracuse. Um, I think catching San Diego State in the first round, I think that's going to be like a really interesting match- matchup. At the end of the day, I think that on, you know, short week 1v1 matchups, where it's one of those things you can't really plan ahead for, um, I think that full court press is going to be an animal, I think, for a good portion of the, uh, portion of the tournament if they can advance through. I think that's going to be one of the most interesting things overall. I think Winthrop overall is one of those teams that's like extremely deep. And I think that that could be really beneficial to them. Now, obviously the biggest thing we talked about this off camera a little bit, but it's really about getting past villain over first, because that's one where I feel like everybody, when you listen to podcasts and different stuff like that, and even I had the, the assumption myself that with uh, Colin Gillespie out, um, for them, for Villanova, that that was going to be a significant hit for them because of the production he has, of course, on court, floor general, such so on and so forth. Plus, you know, Cole Biggie's player of the year. So, obviously, you're losing a lot of talent with that. But they have to get past that. But I feel like that because they're so significantly deep, I feel like that's going to actually play in their favor. They go, like, 11 deep in terms of guys that play it, like, at least 10 minutes. And I don't see why they wouldn't continue riding on that train Another team that I guess I wouldn't put them in like the double digits because I mean they're like you know they're seventh, but I feel like Oregon like kind of got slept on in all of this, like in terms of where they got seated at. Like they finished first in the Pac 12. Chris Duarte, I I don't know if it's controversial or not, but I feel like he actually should have been Pac 12 player of the year instead of Evan Mobley. I feel like it's debatable, but I feel like I, I feel like overall he was a better player and um I feel like that's going to be something that's huge for them as well. I feel like if there was any team out of the three that I named, I think Oregon in their bracket is is the biggest danger to the one seed in their side. Like, I feel like, I mean, Gonzaga has to see either Oklahoma or Missouri to start. And I feel like that could be really interesting. But I feel like I don't know how much I trust Iowa full like full, you know, through the tournament. I feel like once they meet Oregon, that's going to tell us a lot about who they are. I just feel like Oregon is one of those teams that can make like a really sneaky run with the guys that they've got. I think Chris Duarte is really good. And I think Oregon also kind of got a little understeered as well. Cause when he's healthy, obviously he missed the beginning of the year. When he's healthy, they're one of the they're a top 20 team in the country. You know, I mean right. they're, they're really good. I think that round of 32 game with them in Iowa is gonna be crazy. Like crazy, crazy. So um they're really good. I, I do I do read they 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 have they have potential if they, you know, if they can get um they can compare to Iowa. They can they can potentially make make a run, lead eight, final four. You know, depending on um, obviously they, they had to see Gonzaga in that elite eight, which yeah, you know, I wouldn't put my money on them beating Gonzaga, but you know, I think <laughs> I think 
if, if they get past Iowa, Elite Eight is definitely not out of the question for them uh, this year. And Jalen, you mentioned a couple of teams that could make a run. You mentioned one of those teams is Winthrop. And it's a good transition to my next question about a team on upset alert because Winthrop seems like a team that could put Villanova on upset alert considering that um, Villanova does not have Colin Gillespie. I'm going to start with Andrew again on this one. Who is one team that you believe is on upset alert? I mean, I think the, the easy choice for this one uh, is going to be Virginia. Um, I think – and and – I think normally, you know, because they're facing Ohio, obviously who has Jason Preston, who I think is going to be an NBA player. That's the easy thing. But I think the even bigger issue here is that Virginia is going to be coming off a COVID pause. Like they're, they're I think, um, they're not even, they're, I think they're playing Saturday. They're not even going to arrive to, they're arriving Friday. They can practice Saturday morning. Yeah. So it's like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're not even going to get to any of until Friday. This team has been there since, since Tuesday. You know what I'm saying? This team's, uh, I know Iona left the MAC tournament on Saturday and flew to Indianapolis. So it's like, well, you don't have, and they haven't been practicing. Like they, they can't practice right now um, because of the COVID stuff. So, I mean, I think that they're going to be rusty. Then the condition is not really going to be there. And then you're playing a, a Ohio team who was playing with house money. You know, they, they, they're they a lower seeded team. They just won their conference tournament, um, knocked off Toledo in the MAC tournament, who was the one seed who, you know, they, a lot of people didn't really expect them to, to beat. They were underdog again in the championship game versus Buffalo. Um, so, I mean, they're paying with house money, man. I think when you have a guy like Jason Preston who can take over a game, he had 27, five and five in that semifinal game against Toledo. Like when you have guys like that, who can put up 30 in March, I mean, you, you can beat anybody. We saw, you know, what happened with Virginia Rand, Jared Lyles, and you had that one guy who kind of take over a game and you couple that with the fact that now they're going to be coming off a of COVID pause. Um, I think you can, I think you can pretty much pencil that in as an upset. And then in that same bracket, you see Santa Barbara. I mean, we could potentially see a UC Santa Barbara, Ohio second round matchup with one of those teams advancing to the Sweet 16. I mean, how cool would that be to have a mid-major, you know, in the Sweet 16? We just saw Creighton get drubbed by Georgetown, you know, by 30 <laughs> in, in, in the Big East final. So I don't know why anybody has too much confidence in Creighton. So, I mean, I'm pretty much, I'm looking at Ohio, Santa Barbara matchup in the round 32. And, you know, I think one of those teams are going to advance, obviously, to the, to the Sweet 16. I would, I would pick, I would pick. Yeah, and Aaron, you mentioned before the episode started that this was a loaded category. There's a lot of teams that are, that are on upset alert. Who do you believe is on upset alert? Yeah, we talked about talked about three of them, obviously, with Creighton, Virginia, and Villanova. I think I think all those are great picks. I think Creighton and Virginia especially. I think everybody's going to pick Winthrop over Villanova, and I love Winthrop. They're a great thing. I watched, I watched them all year, but we talked about this before the show. Villanova is just that culture, man. Like, they, they – they're gonna have they're gonna have those guys ready to play. They obviously won two national championships in the last four years. It's no it's no accident. Like they those guys are gonna be extreme. Like Winter has a guy in Chandler Voldren, one of the best players, one of the most, most underrated players in the country. Like a six seven guard, um, can shoot it, can pass it really well, rebounds the ball well. Um, and they like Villanova has the athletes kind of neutralize him with Jermaine Samuels, Jeremiah Robinson Earl. So I think he's like they match up a lot better with Winter than people might think. Um, so I think that's going to be a game that people, a lot of people are probably going to create that upset and then they're going to be upset when it might not happen. My unpopular upset is a 13-4 upset. It's Liberty over Oklahoma State. I think that, I think that Liberty is going to be Ooh, Oklahoma State not in, a chance in, in, hell. In, in the first round. Not a chance in hell. Listen, listen bro. Everybody <laughs> wants to pick and, and, some of the, and sometimes the one that nobody expects happens end up happening. And I've watched this Liberty team all year long. They're Great defensively. They play that pack line defense. Obviously, Richie McKay came from Virginia. 
Um, under Tony Bennett, we know Virginia obviously wanted that pipeline defense, the exceptional defensively. Liberty has the same principles. They're not going to let, let you get out into it a lot. They don't, you know, they don't cross up the They get back. They're not going to have too many transition opportunities. They're going to slow the game down. And Liberty, the team, where they, they shoot the ball extremely well. Like they have a guy, Darius McGee, with Atlanta Sun Player of the Year, explosive, explosive guard. Um, four of their top six scores are juniors and seniors, so they're an old team. They're, they shoot the ball well and they defend, man. So I think. You look at a guy like Kate Cunningham, obviously he's an exceptional, exceptional talent, you know what I'm saying? But he's not going to be out there playing one-on-one. It's going to be extremely hard to get in the paint. I'm not going to let him just go out there and, and, and ISO and, and get 30. Like, he's going he's gonna to have to get a ball up, you know? So the other guys are going to have to beat him. A guy like Avery Anderson, who's been playing extremely well lately, he's going to have to have a really big game, I think, over, you know, in this first-round game. They're going to have to make shots. So I, I'm picking Liberty to beat Oklahoma State. Uh, in that first round game. I know nobody's picking them, but I'm picking Liberty. So remember when it happens, you heard it here first. <laughs> yes, you heard it here first on the Hoop Talk podcast. I have to touch more on that because it kind of reminds me of a similar situation just a couple of years ago when Trey Young was on Oklahoma. A lot of people believe that Oklahoma should not have been a tournament team at that point. Trey Young leads Oklahoma. They're, uh, I think they, I believe they were a 10 seed going into that tournament and Rhode Island was a seven seed. This is almost the opposite of Kate Cunningham. I mean, Kate Cunningham has had an exceptional season so far, but we saw when he was out, the supporting cast for Oklahoma, for Oklahoma State has not been that great. So, Aaron, you might have a point. About that one. I don't know about that one because the two games that he missed, they beat they, – they, they were – I can't – the other guy's name is excuse me. They were down two starters, versus West Virginia on the road in Morgantown and beat them. The, the, the two games that Kate missed, they won. Um, and Avery Anderson played great. A lot of other guys on Oklahoma State rallied, man. So I think, like, they didn't miss a beat. And they, they, they beat West Virginia on the road. Then they turned around and beat them again with, uh, with their starters back in. And so, you know, they beat, obviously, Baylor in the Big 12 tournament. Um, I mean, they're, they're playing great basketball right now, man. And, and uh, I saw a stat. Um, Kay Cunningham is averaging over the last six games, he's averaging like 18 points per game in the second half of games. So it's like he has a supreme ability to take over games. Like, they're letting him play one-on-one. He's this not going to be out there playing one-on-one, bro. Listen, they're going to show bodies. They're, gonna, they're not going to him get downhill. If you think they were to show bodies in the Big 12, bro, come on. This, I mean, he's, he's, he's the first team All-American. Them dudes were trying to stop okay, him. But he, and it's the thing, another thing, too. It's another thing, too, I, I told Ace. Liberty's going to have to blow them out in order for it to be close. Because if it's a one-to-two possession game and he's – he has the ball. There's nothing that Liberty's going to be – there's no scheme that they can throw at him that he's not – that he probably hadn't seen before. That he, he's, he's not going to allow him to score. He's you not LeBron saying? James, bro. He's not LeBron James. <laughs> a lot of, if you watch K play, a lot of guys come in transition. So, if he, if he – I'm not saying he's not going to score. He's, he's going to score. Like he's the most best player in the country. He, like he might go out there and get 20, but he's going to work for all 20. Like He's going to be 7 for 22, 20 points. You know what I'm saying? Like, no way. I, I promise you, no bro. Way. I, I, I promise you, bro. No way. I, I promise you, bro. No way. They're not gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna, they're gonna blitz his ball screen. They're gonna make him pass the ball. When, he, when he's getting them like post ISO, they're gonna, they're gonna double him. He's gonna have to pass the ball. He's not, not gonna let him play in space. You think it's all over double team? He, he, come on, bro. Come, come, on, bro. come on, bro. He's not gonna get 30 on double team all night. That, that wears you down on the course of a 40 minute basketball game. They're gonna make it work. For every one of his buckets, bro, and he's gonna score every time. Oh yeah, he's not. Now you're reading like we're gonna score every time he gets the ball. Obviously no. not, bro. But he's an NBA player, bro. There's no like great <laughs> offense beats great defense. So they could so like, you, you, hey, you, you know, know how when you play one on one, you got K. You, you, 
You're not gonna be playing one on one. That's he's not. You're not gonna be playing one on one. They want to double in the half court. We isolation, bro. I get a blitzing ball. Hey, yo. Nobody's on his ISO. He's not gonna get down here. ISO at the top of the key. It's fine. In the paint, shooting a step back three. Shoot, go ahead, shoot over the We'll live with that. Fuck it. Okay, we'll live. Wait, wait, wait. The shot he made in the first Baylor from the left wing. He's not gonna make. He's not gonna make too many of those, bro. He'll make. I'm gonna say he's gonna score. I'm not saying he's gonna, they're gonna hold him to the scoreless, bro. He might walk there and score 20 points, but he's gonna work for all 20 and he's gonna work for all 20. Let me, let me ask y'all something though, because my biggest thing with Oklahoma State has been my biggest struggle with them all year is the fact that nobody else can seem to shoot the ball. Like from three, that's been their biggest struggle overall for most yeah. of the year is the fact that they struggle from the outside over. So I yeah. think. My biggest thing is, I guess, with Liberty, right? Because I think the ex- – no, I don't want to say the expectation, but I think the understanding is that this is a game that could get high scoring pretty quickly. I feel like that's yeah. my personal but opinion Liberty- on it. But how do you think that – how do you think that lack of three-point shooting is – touching less on K and touching more so on the, yeah. the supporting cast, how do you think that lack of three-point shooting or that inability to hit the three-point shot at a high clip is going to affect this game, particularly when we talk about Liberty and how they play? I think I think that's 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 the thing. Like if you it's, it's a make miss game. If, if you don't make shots, anybody can lose. I don't care if, mm. who it is. If you don't make shots, you can lose. You know what I'm saying? So I think if like if if, if Avery Anderson doesn't make shots or if K doesn't make shots, Oklahoma State is going home, bro. They're going home because they don't have like you said they don't have that that many other guys that's that's nine degrees down in a high clip. Liberty does. Liberty's whole team shoots the ball yeah. extremely well. Their whole team shoots like you know what I'm saying. So I think I think. That's and, and like and you said, he's gonna, he's gonna be high. It's not gonna be, I'm just gonna be a track meet. Liberty's gonna slow that game down. They're not gonna stand mm, in okay. They're gonna get back in transition and they're gonna sh- they're gonna get their defense set every play. You know what I'm saying? So, Kate, you're not gonna be out getting in transition. Like I said, if you watch Kate, a lot of his points come in transition and they come because he's he's playing out, pulling out, and getting downhill. You know what I'm saying? He's not, he's not, he's not going out there and just in a half court set, he's not gonna, he's not gonna murder you. You know what I'm saying? Like, like, like. Late shot clock situations, he can obviously get a bucket. But like I said, they're going to be showing bodies. They're going to be – and you're not going to be able to get downhill like, like you guys think he's going to be able to get downhill. I promise you. I promise you. Well, I promise well, you. I'm, I'm going to answer, I'm gonna answer uh, Daniel's question because he's talking about supporting cast. And if we're talking about supporting cast, I'm looking at Avery Anderson. He's been in double figures all four of the last games that he's played. Three out of those four, he scored at least 17. Two of them he had 20 and 31. And in those games, he shot 50% from three. Uh, two for three, so about 67% from three. 50% from three. So, like, he's making shots from the three-point line. You know, he's the number two option on Oklahoma State. So, um, you know, you go, you could book in Cade for 25 in no, that game. You could pressure that in. And, and Avery Anderson, no, if he hasn't watched Liberty that much, that's why he's saying this, bro. It's a, bro, you don't understand it. Cade Cunningham is – he's an NBA player no, today. He's not so, you could pencil goodness, him in bro. for 25. But – He's asked about the supporting cast. He doesn't even and average over 25. the last four games. <laughs> what this is a what have you done for me lately type of thing. In March, how well are you playing in March? What have you done for me lately? Lately, Aver Anderson has shown himself to be somebody who can make shots from three and from all around the court. So I think if you look at the supporting cast, he's the guy that can put the ball in the basket outside of Cade. Because like I said, and we're not going to do a part two to this episode or or tag us on Twitter because Cade Cunningham, pencil him in for 25 versus Liberty. Pencil, and, 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 and when when it happens, 
I'm just gonna mention, I'm gonna mention Ace, and we're gonna pull this clip from the podcast. We're gonna, I'm gonna have you send me this clip. It's like a hey, post. Nice. And Liberty is going <laughs> home in the first round. He averages 20 a game. You, you could, and I think he's gonna elevate his playing mark. So he averages 20. I'm penciling him in for 25 today. All right. Don't you think it's kind of interesting that Oklahoma – so, real quick, Ryan, because I want to get their take on this because I thought this was really interesting. We were caught off guard by this when the uh, the tournament bracket was announced. How do y'all feel about Oklahoma State being in March Madness in the first place? Because all year, when we did our Big 12 breakdown, we were on the, under the assumption that, well, Ryan was dang there petitioning for them to be in the NCAA tournament – uh, you know, there was a whole bunch of stuff with sanctions and stuff like that. So we thought that they were not even going to be available or allowed to do this. So how do you feel about the fact that they're even in this in the first place? Like, do you feel like this was like a power move? Okay, I I, I see where you're going. Can you elaborate a little yeah, bit yeah. on the play? Hey, man, I feel it's kind of similar. Listen, we didn't have an NCAA tournament last year. So the NCAA missed out on billions with a B from mm. not having a tournament last year. So this time around, they were going to have a tournament regardless. What comes with that is the draw. You need those fan bases and you need people who have the eyes on the television screen. So, Kay Cunningham is going to be in the tournament. Like, it's it's the reason why they ain't rule on Oklahoma State. You know, they're like, oh, let's see what these dudes do. If, if they if they sneak it up in the Big 12, we'll just rule it. Yeah, you guys are not going to go. But they, they probably saw Kay and they were like, hold on, these dudes can play. And they need, you need Kay Cunningham to be in the tournament. You need your best players to be in the tournament. You need Evan Mobley in the tournament. It's amazing that now Jason Preston is going to be in the NCAA tournament. It's amazing that Patrick Ewing is going to be back in the NCAA tournament. It's amazing that Juwan Howard is, has Michigan back as a premier power and is going to be in the NCAA tournament. We're, we could potentially see Ayo Desumu versus Kay Cunningham in the 316. You talk about ratings, like people's eyes are going to be on the television and the NCAA is going to make X amount of dollars off of that game. So that's really what it came down to for me. Like, they understood Syracuse, number team, why are they in the NCAA term? They don't have an eye-popping resume, but Syracuse has them fans. Like, Syracuse, if Syracuse is in the tournament, you're going to have guys, people watching the games. You know what I'm saying? Syracuse is a team that also had a history of advancing. So, like, you put them in, you got Jim Beheim, who's a Hall of Fame coach. You got that Syracuse brand that's going to be watching the games. They're going to be in the tournament. So, I think that's really what it came down to. Yeah, especially, especially in a year where there's no Duke, no Kentucky. You're missing two of the Blue Bloods, two of the most historic teams in the history of the NCAA tournament, you know? So you need those, you need those, those brand recognition. Those, like you said, you mentioned the Syracuse, the Michigan State, those guys that are going to bring the fans. That's why I was a little bit surprised Louisville didn't get in because Louisville obviously one of the biggest brand names in college basketball. They didn't get in. Tricky from a money standpoint, you would think that they would put them in the tournament. You know, I mean, Rick Pitino was in the, in the tournament, you know what I'm saying? So like, there are guys across the whole entire country that are going to bring those fans and bring those guys that you're Patrick Ewing, Juwan Howard, Rick Pitino, Syracuse, Michigan State, Kate Cunningham. Because the, 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 so basically what happened was they had, they had, they had the violations. They appealed the violations. So instead of making rule that you can be, so basically what, they, what happened was they, they ruled that, all right, you guys are eligible for the NCAA tournament until we rule on your appeal. But they also could have ruled that you guys are appealing. We're going to review your appeal, and you guys aren't going to be eligible until we rule in your favor. But they, the fact that they ruled to let them to, to, to be eligible until further notice means that, that they were waiting to see, like, all right, we'll see what's going to happen. They, they need the money. You know, last year they missed a lot, a lot of money last year. So, you know, that, that's really all it came down to with Oklahoma State. They wanted to have Kate Cunningham in the tournament. Rightfully so. I'm, I'm glad they put him in there.
And you mentioned a lot of great points considering that, you know, as a, as a team in Syracuse, they've, they've been historically known to be a great NCAA tournament team. I remember a couple of years ago, they were a 10 seed and they upset Virginia in the elite eight. And then they ended up going to the final four. And then, you know, seeing Patrick Ewing uh, coaching Georgetown, that's an amazing sight to see. Jawan Howard at Michigan, his first tournament there with Michigan since his days with the Fab Five. I mean, there, there's a lot of firsts and there's a lot of exciting things going on in the tournament that I feel like that this tournament may be the most watched tournament since the NCAA tournament started. We mentioned earlier a couple of teams that could be dark horses for the Final Four. Aaron and Andrew mentioned Texas and Alabama. And I want to start with Jalen on this one. Who do you believe could be in the Final Four this year? So as much as I like Oregon, I still have Gonzaga coming out of there just because, like, lower, bro. <laughs> it's just it's just a lot coming from over there. And that I feel like that whole thing is going to be dangerous. I don't know if this is, like, a very, like, popular opinion or not, but outside of Alabama, I think the other interesting team that could really come out of that side um, – with Michigan, it's Florida State. I think that they're really interested in all of this, and I feel like that's a team that could really make a run. I feel like overall, they just have a really interesting path. And the fact that they've – I wouldn't say they've, like, played their best basketball as of late, but the tournament time is when I feel like they're going to really turn things up. I think Scotty Barnes is going to be a guy that's going to be really interesting in this time frame because he's still an enigma from a draft prospect standpoint right now he's been a guy who's had a lot of on off games uh we know that florida state does uh very interesting things in terms of splitting up guys minutes so that's another thing that i think is going to be touched on a lot in the tournament because i think he's going to get a heavy run um so i think mm, i likes alabama and i likes florida state if i had to lean anyway i think that i would pick alabama slightly um I'm not super huge on Michigan. I don't know what the turnoff for me with Michigan is. Um, I just think that Alabama is low-key just going to come out and be a better team. I think one of the biggest things with them, and you guys touched on it a little bit, is the fact that they score. They can score at such a high clip. And I think that is going to be extremely important when you also know that they can go back on the other side and defend at a high level. And, they, I mean, like you said, the, the depth that they have, we touched on this with Winthrop a little bit. The depth that they have is – it's like unnecessary, like almost to a certain extent. So I think that Alabama is going to be really interesting. I'm biased in terms of the next one. I'm going to take Illinois. I don't care. I know I can't give you a great explanation. I just have been on the IO bandwagon since he said he was coming back to school. And I genuinely think, I, I think that this could be as long of a run to get to the final four and as early as the exit as Loyola Chicago. Like I really feel like because Illinois can be such a polarizing team and we saw that throughout the season. I mean, me and Ryan touched on one of their losses to Maryland. We were just like, where did this even come from? There's such a polarizing team throughout the uh, the season. And, you know, IO still, he, has, he wasn't injured for long, but that's still something that needs to be kept an eye on as well. I think that they're a team that could, like I said, they could either make a significant run or get caught on the second day. So I think that's going to be something to keep an eye out on. And as much as I like Ohio State in that in that south uh, in that south bracket, he ain't messing with Baylor, bro. I think bro, Baylor is bro, the problem. Thing is, the thing is, the thing yeah. is, Ohio State. I, I want to pin it for my super team. They are really EJ Liddell, Dwayne Washington, CJ Walker, and Chris Holman is an amazing, amazing coach. Them dudes. The thing with Baylor, 
first of all, they come off that COVID pause and they haven't looked the same since they came that COVID pause. So it's like, obviously, if they can get their rhythm back, they're one of the best two teams in the country. But mm-hmm. they're the band that just that has been playing recently. Lost to um, we lost to they lost to Kansas, and they lost to Kansas. Oklahoma State. Oklahoma State. Mm-hmm. Tournament, like I don't know how State. I love I, I love how State. They're, they're I think they can definitely shake some stuff up in, the, in that bracket as well. I mean, EJ with there was a matchup nightmare. I don't know. Obviously, you know, maybe throw Davion Mitchell or Vital on them, but Dwayne mm-hmm. Washington can fill it up. CJ Walker can fill it up. I mean, they they have a lot of dudes that can go out there and, and get you and get you. Basket and like I said, Chris Holtman is, is a great coach. So I'm on the Ohio State wagon a little bit in that to come out of that region. Yeah, I was gonna say they're too, peaking at a good time too. No, yeah, I was gonna say I actually don't. I don't have Baylor coming out of that bracket. Um, mm, okay. I think I didn't mention this earlier, but ah, I, I think Baylor might be an upset alert, and I can't really tell you because Ooh. for me, I think just they haven't. And I know a lot has been said about this. So I don't want to sound like cliche, but like. They haven't really looked like, like the same team that we saw in the beginning of the year after the COVID no. calls. Like mm-hmm. you know, what I'm saying they they obviously they they lost to they lost twice. We saw them almost lose. We watched the game. Me and Ace, our, our jaws almost hit the floor because they almost lost to Iowa State coming off pause originally. Um, and, but they just haven't looked the same. Obviously, they lost in the Big Twelve tournament in the semis to Oklahoma State. Like I just don't think that they, that they've been the same team. I don't like if, if I had to check like. If they make it to the Elite Eight, I don't, I don't have them being um, Arkansas or Ohio State. I don't, I don't, I don't have them beating either of those teams. So I, I don't have them get to the Final Four. And I mean, this is going to sound a little crazy, but like depending, depending on who wins this North Carolina Wisconsin game, like ah, I could get tricky. I actually kind of agree with you on that one. I honestly I agree because their inside fire. presence is great. North right, Carolina's no, inside fire. presence. They have size though. Can I not be? No, can I not be in Wisconsin? <laughs> Maybe so. I'm just saying. I don't know about that one. I, Maybe, I think they got I, that. I don't say I would pick North Carolina to beat them, but I think that they can pose a problem a bit because they have size and the offensive mm. rebound. They can create extra possessions. And Baylor, they, 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 I mean, they don't have great size. And Wisconsin yeah. is another team who can slow the game down. Like they, and they can hit shots. I see Demetrius Trice and Michael Potter. You know, they, they can put points on the board. I just, I don't know, man. But like I said, I think I would pick Baylor to advance past past that round. But I think if they were in the Arkansas or Ohio State, I wouldn't pick them to win either of those games. So I don't, I don't have Baylor coming out of that of that bracket. So the thing with the thing with me is this: I think Wisconsin can can, can give Baylor run for their money. Wisconsin's yeah. beating yeah. North Carolina. First of all, that'd be North oh, Carolina. Brother. Wisconsin. They win continent. It all comes out that they make shots. If Wisconsin doesn't make shots, then then they aren't a good team. But when Wisconsin is making threes, Brad Davidson, Reavers, uh, Richard Trice, obviously Michael Potter, when them dudes make shots, they are extremely, extremely hard to beat. I didn't think they could be, you know, they. But they ain't gonna bail it. This 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 thing will bail it. Obviously, we were talking yesterday with, with uh, Jeff Goodman and, and Rob Dawson. They were saying Scott Drew said that they only they've only had one. Practice since they came off COVID pause. Like they can't, they, they when they came off COVID pause, they had like three games in a week. So obviously they were playing. It was, it was like a Sunday, Tuesday, Friday. They only they only practiced one time in that final week of the season. So obviously now you get to Indy, they've been practicing. They're getting their legs back under them. The thing with Baylor is that this Baylor team is different than teams that they've had in the past. But in the past, they've always defended. They've all been elite defensively. But this year, they have great, great guard play. Maceo Teague and Jay Butler, in my opinion, is. Probably the best backcourt in the, in the country. Then you have Davion Mitchell and Mark Vidal. Those guys can put the ball in the basket. Jared Butler can go out and get you 30 if, if you need to. Maceo T can heat up. So I think if they can get past their first two games, if like if they're in an elite eight, I think I think only team, only team in this bracket that I see that can beat them 
if they're playing their best basketball is Ohio State. Arkansas can beat them for sure. Think about for Arkansas. Sure. Arkansas. Think about I don't I don't know, bro. Sure. I don't know. Because because Baylor Baylor can score right with Arkansas. But Arkansas can't Arkansas not getting any Arkansas doesn't guard a soul. So Baylor's gonna be able to score, but Baylor can get stops. So it's like I don't know if Arkansas is gonna be able to get yeah, enough stops even, to stop Baylor. But even that defense though, that defense hasn't been what it was before COVID. But uh, I, I, I think it will be been, though. Because they can have been at that level. They can be practicing. I think I think they haven't been able to practice. So I think now you get a week to practice in Indy and get your rhythm back. You know, I think I think I think that's gonna help them a lot because they have they haven't been able to practice. So obviously, and, and think what Baylor is, think about a lot of these COVID pauses is that like some teams have to go on pause because of like contact tracing or because of, like some like Michigan, when they went on pause, nobody on Michigan had COVID. Like they just went on pause because the whole athletic department in the school went on pause. Baylor had eight guys catch COVID. Eight guys on the team had the coronavirus. So they them dudes were out of shape. They couldn't they couldn't do anything. So like they still had are getting their rhythm back, they're still getting their win back. I think you know you get your first round matchup out of the way. You get that you, you might you might get scared around thirty two if they can get past around thirty two. You get your legs back. You start defending at a high level. You get your rhythm back. Now they're a team that was twenty whatever twenty one and zero whatever. You know looking like the best team in the country outside of Gonzaga for for the four years. It's the wrong time to be trying to catch your rhythm back though. Like it's March. You know what I'm saying? like you you want to already have your rhythm and be playing the best basketball. And that's not you can't really say that about Baylor. Like this is an Arkansas team that was on like a nine game win streak. But you won't see them to what the three sixteen? Yeah, elite I'm, eight. I'm, I'm just saying, you won't see them to the elite, to the elite eight. I'm just saying though, Arkansas is a team that has been playing their best basketball in March. So it's like a team that's playing, even Ohio State, like they're playing their best basketball in March. So like those two teams, it's tough, you know. I, and as opposed to your Baylor, where you're trying to catch your rhythm and find your stride in March, versus a couple of these teams where they're playing their best basketball now. So I don't know, man. Don't be surprised if Baylor gets sent home in that round thirty two. But I think if they can get past that matchup, then I do got them advanced to the Elite Eight, where I think they'll lose to either Arkansas or Ohio State, whoever advances out from that side. Andrew, I want to I want to just continue this. So Gonzaga and Illinois seem like the locks for the Final Four. Baylor's bracket. <laughs> I feel like the <laughs> Illinois one is questionable. Illinois got some Illinois. kind of draw. I love Illinois. But if, if Oklahoma State can get, can get past my upset pick <laughs> in Liberty, if they get past that, that 316 round with, with Oklahoma State and Illinois would be must-see TV. Yeah. I do love Illinois, though. I love the way – I like play. Illinois coming out, but I don't think it's uh-huh. as much of a lock as it sounded, as, as it might seem. They, now, if Liberty come out, like you say, I mean, okay, maybe we swinging the needle a little bit. But – because I think Illinois can – I don't want to say can handle Liberty, but I feel like they have a little bit more pieces to work with, work with versus Oklahoma. Oklahoma State outside of Kate Cunningham. You got to touch on it a little bit, but – yeah, I don't know about a lot, but I still feel you, though. So, Gonzaga seems like the only true lock. Illinois, kind of a questionable lock. Right. Andrew, I want to get your your take on this. Outside of Gonzaga, who do you believe are the three other teams that could make it to the Final Four? Yeah, so um, I'm going to go Gonzaga. Um, I, don't, I don't like Michigan coming out of that bracket just because of the question, the questionable health of Isaiah Livers. So, I'm going to go uh, Gonzaga. I'm going to go Alabama. In the South, I'm going to go. Ooh, that Baylor, Ohio State got him messed up. Arkansas? Arkansas. Ooh, I need more. I need more elaboration on this one. Hold on. Because, okay. I just think that Arkansas is a team like they can score, man. And Moses Moody is going to present a matchup nightmare 
for anybody who, who, who he sees. And I know, I'm not sure, is, is Kyle Young back? I know he had a concussion um, in the Big Ten tournament. So it's like, if, if, I, if I he doesn't have Kyle Young, we'll, I mean, I think he'll probably play. I, I would assume he's going to try to be back. But it's like, that's uncertain. You don't know what his health is going to be like. So I'm going to pick Arkansas. And then um, I'm going to go Illinois. I do think Illinois is going to make it out of, of that bracket. So I'm going to go Gonzaga, Illinois, Alabama, Arkansas, two SEC teams uh, in the Final Four this year. So, Aaron, what teams are in your Final Four outside of Gonzaga? Yeah, I got Gonzaga. I like – if I think Lee was healthy, then it's Michigan. If he's not, then it's Alabama. Um, I like Ohio State coming out of the South. And then I like – I'm going to – I'm going to go with Illinois because I really – I think they're playing their best basketball of the year right now. Um, I think the biggest thing for them has been the development of Andre Curbelo. He's played amazing. Him and uh, Frazier, since uh, Iowa went out, have been on an absolute tear. I love the way they're playing. Um, so I'm going to go – I'm going to go with Illinois to come out of that bracket. Um, you know, so I, I'll, go, I'll go Illinois, Ohio State, Gonzaga, and then um, – I'll go, I'll go, I'll go Alabama because I don't really know what's up Isaiah Lewis. So I'll go Alabama. I want to transition to another question about Gonzaga because there are a lot of analysts out there that are saying that Gonzaga could be the next 32-0 team. And there hasn't been a 32-0 team since 1976. I'm gonna start with Aaron on this one. Does Gonzaga go 32-0? Yes, they go 32-0. I think I think this team is, is the best team in the country. They have so many weapons. I mean, they had three dudes playing on All-American teams. Obviously, Kispert was the first-team All-American, and Suggs and Tinney were both second-team All-American. Throwing a guy like Joel Ayi, who was, what, was he, the most outstanding player in the WCC tournament last year. And you got a guy in Andrew Nemhard, who was one of the best players, you know, coming out of, in the country, coming out of high school, um, was a starter on Florida, transferred, transferred to Gonzaga. He's come off the bench for a year. Since, since they started him in the starting lineup, um, they look like an incredible, incredibly different team. I mean, they just, they have the best starting five in the country by far. And I just think that this team is, is I, don't, I don't see a way that they lose because they're, they're, you know, a top, I believe that, I believe they're top, they're top 10 in the country in offensive and defensive efficiency. So, I mean, they're a team that can guard and they can score hundred points. Um, and they have so many different dudes that can, that can go out there and score. Like if, if Sugg is off, you still got Kispert and Drew Timmy. I mean, they're a team that can just beat you in so many different ways. I don't see how they lose. Um, so I think to answer your question, I think yes, Gonzaga goes 32-0. So with that being said, Andrew, I want to transition to you because Jalen and I have had this debate all season long considering that Corey Kisper, Drew Timmy, and Jalen Suggs were all national player of the year candidates. But it was really hard to pick one who could win. Who do you believe out of those three guys could be national player of the year? Well, I mean, I, 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 mean, I don't think any of those guys are going to get it. I think it's going to be Garza, but I think, you know, I guess I'll have to go Corey Kispert since he was the only guy to um, wind up on the first team. Um, so I guess he would be technically the only guy that, that would still be in the running. So I'll give it to Kispert. Um, I think Jalen Suggs is still their, their most talented player. Um, I think he clearly has the highest ceiling. I think he's going to be a great player in the NBA. Um, you know, but I think when you look at this Gonzaga team, I mean, this team reminds me of a team from – I think it was two years ago, maybe that one that or three years ago that made three years, I guess it would be three or four years ago. That went to the national title game, man, when they had Josh Perkins, Nigel Williams Goss, Jordan Matthews, Jonathan Williams, and, and Karnowski as the five. Then they had Killian Tilly and Zach Collins off of the bench. 
And, um, you know, only the ninth pick in the draft, the Rui Hachimura as their fifth big man, you know, that year. So, um, I mean, they're just loaded from the start of five to the bench. Um, absolutely loaded. Um, this is a team that, like A said, I mean, it's definitely the best starting five. And, I mean, that, that Gonzaga team made it all the way to the title game and lost. Um, I think this team is, is arguably even better than that team. So, I mean, I think it would just make sense that, that, that they win it all this year. And, um, I mean, it, it's, it's already something that they have three, you know, All-Americans on the team. And, I mean, if they can complete it and, and go 32-0, and 0, um, you know, maybe, I don't know, maybe, you know, Corey Crisper can have something, have something to say about it, you know, but, you know, we'll, we'll have to see. And there's a lot of talent on this Gonzaga team, like Andrew mentioned. And Jalen, I want to transition to you on this one. With the talent that's on Gonzaga right now, who do you believe is going to be the X factor for Gonzaga in the NCAA tournament? I mean, I think it's Joel Ayayi, just out of the mere fact that I feel like he's one of those guys that has been like a real glue guy for them all year. I mean, it's interesting for their team. Everybody has really interesting roles. Throughout the time frame, I mean, you know, Corey Kisberg is arguably a 50-40-90 guy. He's been a guy that's been associated with, like, Joe Harris in terms of his NBA prospect translation. Jalen Suggs is a guy who, I mean, he's came on really strong as of late. He's just a guy who, he plays within the offense really well. I felt like this was a guy coming into this year. There was a lot of talk about, like, whether or not they would, uh, they would give a freshman the keys at point guard. And it seemed like one of the dumb like one of the most dumb conversations to have now that we're looking at this with 2020 hindsight I think another thing that you know you look at overall is just like oh Joel Yai gets a lot of like the small things done and I feel like in this tournament I feel like it's going to be extremely important um for that to continue I think another interesting thing about him overall is I don't know I'm I'm more of an NBA guy than a college guy, so I tend to always look at that stuff from with that kind of lens. And I feel like Joel Yai is a guy who is like a fringe first round pick that just needs that, perf- like that one or those one or two performances to really kind of put himself over the top. Um, we've seen this with a lot of like like in the past when we saw like Jalen Brunson and guys like that for Villanova a, a few years ago that kind of like bursted out of nowhere that were not really considered to be like NBA, real NBA prospects. And then the tournament kind of put them on the map. I feel like he's a guy who over the last couple of years has kind of been put lower on the totem pole just because of the kind of talent they acquire. So I think Joel Yai is going to be really scary. And I feel like he's the one guy that everybody's not talking about when you plan for Gonzaga, that's going to end up catching a lot of teams lacking. To close out the episode. It's only fitting that we just talk about some of our favorite March Madness moments, teams, and players. So, Andrew, I'm going to start with you on this one. What is your favorite or one of your favorite March Madness moments? Uh, This is easy. Um, Definitely would be uh, 2003 um, when my older brother, um, he played for Syracuse in 03. When when, when Syracuse won national championship, man, his name is Billy Edlin. Um, By far the greatest March Madness moment of, of my life was seeing him um, win national cha- national championship over Kansas that year. Kansas had Kurt Heinrich, Nick Collins. Um, they were coached by Roy Williams. Uh, my brother played a major role on that team, man. Um, you know, with Jerry McNamara, Hakeem Ward, obviously Melo. Um, to see him win a national championship, man, like was was crazy as a kid. I was only like seven years old, six, seven years old, man. I remember like it was yesterday, man. Um, I always go back on YouTube and watch the games. Um, that was definitely my my 
favorite March Madness moment, man. Um, and I was like a lifelong Syracuse fan, you know, ever, you know, ever since, you know, he went there. And um, so that, that definitely, you know, by far my favorite March moment. That Syracuse team was amazing from top to bottom, especially with Carmelo Anthony getting drafted in the top five of the 2003 NBA draft. Jerry McNamara, who was a huge staple of that Syracuse program. Hakeem Warwick, who had a good career in the, in the NBA as well. That team was loaded from top to bottom. Aaron, I'm going to move on to you. What is your favorite March Madness moment or one of your favorite March Madness moments? Yeah, I'll probably say um, I'll probably say the Chris Jenkins shot a couple years ago. That was unbelievable to see. He, obviously, he's a DMV guy um, from the area. He's playing against Nate Brick, his, you know, his brother at North Carolina. And that game was insane. Like, Marcus Page hit that three to tie, and everybody was going crazy. Like, oh, like, the next thing you know, they run the out-of-bounds play, pitch back to Chris Jenkins, and he, and he drills it. To win that national championship game, I mean, that's that probably one of the most iconic shots in history of the NCAA tournament. You know, just the way that it happened, the confetti fall and everything. Like, um, that's probably the, the, the one of the one of the most uh, craziest things that I, I saw. When I one, I'll never forget that moment. Me and Drew were sitting on the couch watching that game, be screaming like going crazy. So, um, I think that that would probably be the one that, that sticks out the most uh, in my mind. Yeah, that was a very memorable shot. I mean, Archie Diagono with the pass and then Chris Jenkins with just the shot. And then the confetti rained down. Imagine yeah. if that shot just didn't yeah. count. They had to clean up all the confetti. <laughs> <laughs> that, that, that shot, Chris Jenkins standing there in the air, like with the confetti falling and everybody coming. That's like an iconic photo, like, forever. Like, it's, I, and I think it, it made me more crazy because uh, Baker Dunleavy, he's an associate head coach on that Villanova team. And he ends up getting the job at Quinnipiac. So he coached me and Drew our junior and senior year. And so just oh. being in that program, you know, we ran that same play in the, out, of, out, of, out of bound play. Like we were working that. I'm like, damn, they won the championship with this same play. Like, um, and then just seeing how that program operates and like the culture with how everything that's going over there, we did the exact same thing with like the way we, the way we played and then off the floor things that we did. Like, so he would tell our stories and stuff. And I mean, that, that the team had a bunch of DMV guys like Phil Booth, Josh Hart. Chris Jenkins, all from the area. So we grew up playing against these guys, know, know a lot of those guys, um, play with like Phil Booth in the summer all the time. So um, just being, it was really, really cool just seeing firsthand how that, how that program operates and then having a coach that was involved in that, on that team coming and coaching us. And I think, I think that, I think that was, it was, it was just amazing to, to see with all those guys from the area being able to win it at the highest level. It was maybe one of the greatest NCAA tournament finals of all time, considering just how it closed out markets page with the, with the shot that kind of almost fell out of the rim, but managed to go in. And then the shot from Chris Jenkins, it was an amazing game overall. Jalen was one of your favorite March Madness moments. So it's less of a moment and more of like a run. And it was the 2012, 2013 Louisville run to the championship. And it was mainly only because, uh, first of all, the makeup of the team was really interesting. Uh, Peyton Siva was a guy who went ballistic during the tournament and that was one of the craziest things to watch. But the main thing that stuck with me was just out of the fact that that was my first tourney I had watched from start to finish, like ever. So because, like I said before, I'm a bigger NBA guy than college guy. So this is one of those things where I'm still kind of late blooming to the college basketball scene even now. And, I mean, the run that they made, looking back at it now, it's so interesting to pick out some of the teams they took out, like Oregon, then Duke. Wichita State, that was that Wichita State team that had the Fred Van Vliet, Clay Anthony Early, who I actually like, like exchanged DMs with beforehand. Ron Baker, who never really turned into an NBA player for the Knicks, but you couldn't tell him anything back when he was with Wichita State because that was just a team that played really hard defense. 
Um, and then obviously finishing things off in uh, um, Michigan in the uh, championship game. But the thing that's like stood out to me too is like the kind of NBA talent they ended up getting, like producing. It's like it doesn't eye pop at you. I mean, the only one that really will stand out is Montrezl Harrell, and he was not really regarded as an NBA talent during this run. But Gorgie Diang was on that team. Peyton Siva did end up making the league. I think he played like a year to two years. And then Russ Smith was another guy. That that backcourt that they had was like extremely dynamic for no reason. And they played like a really interesting like small ball concept. It was like I said, it was one of my first years watching college basketball. So seeing that run was really interesting overall. Um, Yeah, you couldn't tell me nothing about Peyton Siva for like a smooth two to three weeks. I ain't gonna lie. Man, Payne Stevens still overseas getting buckets. So right, yeah, he, he's um he's he's still playing high level basketball overseas, and that was definitely um you know a crazy run for sure. I'm pretty sure Gorgie James still in the league, ain't he? He put the Timberwolves. Mm-hmm. He was somebody. Yeah. He's still in the league. Definitely in the league still. He got a, he got a big jersey collection though. I tell you that he. Yeah. <laughs> Russ Smith over in China getting seventy. Yeah, <laughs> he getting like 60, 70 points. Wasn't that the Kevin Ware year? Did, did he break his leg that year? I want to – I can double check. I think I so. Say that was, I'm pretty sure that was the year he broke his leg. And I want to say that was. I'm pretty sure that was yeah. the year he broke his leg in the final Because I think in, in 2014, he transferred to yep. Georgia uh, – he transferred to Georgia State, and they beat Baylor that year. I think so, right? Yeah. No, you, you're no, you're right. Okay. No, he's right. That, that was the – that's a whole other thing in terms of talking about moments. Yeah, because I'm not going to lie to you. When I actually that was one of those games I saw live. Like I said, this is the first year I had watched the whole all the way through. I only saw the replay once though because I could not, I couldn't look after that. Like nobody knew what happened there. when he when he went down. Like, what the heck? Because it wasn't, no. it wasn't a it was a bad. He literally just closed out on a shot and landed. It wasn't even like he like did anything crazy. Like so nobody really knew what happened. They didn't look. It's like oh his leg is in half. Like what happened? Uh, I've been watching that like. That, oh, that was crazy. That was crazy. So I want to transition to, you know, a team, not only like your favorite team, but just like a favorite team from like the tournament, like a specific year. Like, you know, the Syracuse team for 2003, like that was a great example that Andrew brought up. Do you have a team from a specific year that had a great tournament run? Uh, that O.C. George Mason team, I would oh. say, you know, they're from the area, obviously. And then uh, they had a Springbrook. I went, me and Drew played at Springbrook High School in Maryland. And one of the one of the alumni, his name is Father and Campbell, was one of the best players on that team. Obviously, Tony Skinner, another area guy who's now coaching at Seton Hall. But he played for a Nigerian team in the Olympics when they played Team USA that year. Um, he's obviously another area guy. Me and Drew went to the basketball camp growing up. Um, so I see that 06 Jordan Mason team coached by Jim Laranega, Chris Caputo was on that staff. Um, both of those guys are now at Miami leading that program. Um, I think that, that was an all-time great run just because of the fact that from the area, um, they beat some great teams on the way to their Final Four run. At the time, they were in the CAA. Later, obviously, later on, obviously, VCU ended up going to the Final Four out of the CAA. So they kind of really paved the way um, in 06 for these, like, Cinderella runs um, later on that we saw, obviously, with 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 your VCU and your Wichita State, your Loyola Chicago, you know they were those are one of, they were one of the first teams to really do it um, coming out of the CA and obviously being from the area was was extremely special as well. Andrew, I want to continue with you on this one because you mentioned Syracuse now a lot of great Syracuse teams. Do you have a favorite Syracuse team that made a run to the NCAA tournament? Yeah, for sure, man. Um, I think so. My favorite, I mean, outside of the 03 Syracuse team. Um, 
I would say the team that made the Final Four with uh, Malachi Richardson, Frank Howard, Trevor Cooney. Um, you know that that team was 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 great as far as Syracuse teams because nobody expected them to, to make it there. They were in the first four, I believe, and played their way all the way to the Final Four. Obviously, Frank Howard's a DMV guy, so I was appreciated that. You know, but um, I got I got I got um, I got to chime in here too, man. I want to give outside of that 03 Syracuse team, I I, I got to give some love to probably my second favorite tournament team um, ever. And it's not a men's team. It's a women's team. And um, mm-hmm. this is the uh, 05, 06 Maryland Terps team that won the national championship. <laughs> um, and for me, like literally like as a, as a DMV kid, man, like I watched that game, man. Like when Christy Tolliver made that three, like to win the game, like, bro, I went crazy. Like, and that team was crazy, man. I mean, Shea Duran, obviously Christy Tolliver, Marissa Coleman, like, I mean, they had a crazy team. Like, I'm pretty sure they, like, they, they, the, they, well, they, didn't, they didn't have a. Uh, I'm pretty sure Laura Harper. Laura Harper was on that team. Laura Harper, Crystal Langhorn. Crystal, like, they had a crazy team. Like, I mean, and they won the national title that year, man. And, like, they had, I mean, that was like just that moment. Obviously, like, you know, it was a game winner, too. You know what I'm saying? So, like, that moment, like, as a Maryland kid, like, watching that team, man, and, like, even following Christy Tolliver throughout her career, you know what I'm saying? Like, um, in the WNBA has been, I, I, I always like, just like, look up to her, man. I idolized her because of that shot, man. But I mean, that, that, that whole Maryland team, man, with like, like he said, man, Crystal Langhorn, um, Marissa Coleman, like, Michelle Duran, like they had a great group, man. Laura Harper's coaching at Coppin State now. Um, so it's crazy, you know, going back to campus and seeing her, man, I'm like, dang, man, like, like you really a legend, you know what I'm saying? So, um, I got to show some love, man, to coach, coach Freeze, um, and the Lady Turks, man, for giving me one of my all-time favorite March Madness moments. I think Christy Tolliver's still playing in the league today. She's playing for the LA Sparks, right? Yeah, man. I, I was mad when the Mystics gave her up, man. I was just a big part of them winning the WNBA title a couple years ago. I mean, she's a legend, yo. Won a title for the Mystics, won a title for Maryland. Like, she a local legend for real, man. So I was I was sad to see her go. But she, she's still hooping, man. She still, she still getting buckets to this day. Jalen, what is – or who is one team that was your favorite team in the NCAA tournament? Ooh, favorite team in the NCAA tournament. So my bias is probably going to be the 2011-2012 UNC team. And that's just because, like, in terms of growing into college basketball, like, I pretty much adopt what my dad's team is. So um, in that case, my dad's from North Carolina. So Tar Heels is all over the place in terms of the house and everything. And in that year specifically, I mean, they end up getting taken out by Kansas in the Elite Eight, which is like, that's rough. But, like, when you really look down the stretch at, like, guys that they had, that was an NBA roster if I've ever seen one, at least back then. You look at a handful of these guys now, yeah, it's a little bit different. But Harrison Barnes still getting it cracking in the league. I want to see him on the Celtics personally. I think he could be another really good wing for them. But Tyler Zeller, John Henson, Reggie Bullock, Kendall Marshall, who didn't really get his fair shake with the Los Angeles Lakers, but that was a guy, he was a, he was a wizard at the point guard position in terms of as a facilitator, James Michael McAdoo was like low key. They're like second best player um, at the forward spot next to Harrison Barnes and then PJ Harrison. Like they had like an NBA ready squad and I had never seen that much talent together on a college roster before. Like I said, beforehand, I, I was brand new. I really literally started watching college basketball heavy the year before. So being a fan of this team and watching them really close, like I said, I was pulling for all these guys to get drafted. And I'm, I mean, 
I believe in that draft class, I think three or four of them all went. I think three or four of them went first round. I know Harrison Barnes did. I know John Henson went to the Bucks, um, and then Kendall Marshall went to LA. I think that was late in the first round. So yeah, that team was crazy in terms of the kind of talent they had. And that was another thing too, Ryan. We always talk about like having to collect jerseys. I know that like it's not up there from a UNC standpoint with all the other guys that you could probably list off the Vince Cars, the James Worthy's, Michael Jordan, obviously. But Harrison Barnes was like one of my favorite players in college basketball. I keep trying to get him on a really good NBA roster because I just want to see him succeed again after what he was able to do with Golden State. And I think he got a really weird shake when everybody's scenario is we all we did was trade out Harrison Barnes for Kevin Durant and boom, you have a dynasty. It's like, whoa, Harrison Barnes was still a pretty integral point part of that Golden State Warriors team. So I hope that he ends up with another like really good roster because Sacramento just ain't it. But yeah, I just I would say that 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 UNC team was definitely up there. Yeah, Harrison Barnes is is, is he was unique too because he was like a five star prospect. I think he was like number one. Or number two, like he was like a top three player in the country, and he stayed for his second year. I remember, like, it was not like, oh, like most dudes, this is like when the one done era was kind of like really gaining steam, and people were kind of um surprised that he decided to come back for his second year. But obviously, you know, it paid off well, man. And you know, Harrison Barnes went to the league, got his ring, and now he's chasing that bag. Sacramento paid <laughs> a nice, nice hundred million. I'm pretty sure he got a deal with uh Dallas. This might be like his second. Uh, I think because he just signed their attention this last year, I'm pretty sure. It probably be his like second or third deal. So he probably just stacking his paper at this point. And I think another team too, like that I thought about just now on um, when you said that was um the 2015 Duke National Title team was also one of my favorites because that was like so we graduated high school in 2014. So like Julio Okafor was in our class, Justin Winslow, Tyus Jones, like all those guys were the same age just like we 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 played against Julio Okafor um in AAU when he played for um What's the name of that team? It was, they played Ferrari. At the Ferrari, time. yeah, Ferrari, which was like all the all the uh, the, the uh, Whitney Young guys were on that team. With like Paul White, Miles um, Reynolds was on that team. Uh, we played against Justice Winslow in like 2013 or 2015 when he played for Houston Select. And it was him and Kelly Oubre were on the same team. So like those were like all like peers. Like so, it was crazy to see like Justice Winslow, Jaleel, and Tyus Jones like really be able to go to Duke. And win a national title, like that's the only team that won with freshmen. Like they, 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 they won with the Kentucky team. Brandon Davis won too. Yeah, they did, they did, they did, they did. Yeah. So those two, the only two teams that were able to actually get it done with freshmen, like coming in there and like and, and winning, you know. And I remember like when Tyus Jones when he made that shot versus Virginia, yeah. like and even that shot versus Wisconsin in that title game, I was like, yo, like this dude is a freshman doing this. Like, I, it was crazy because I was like picturing like, yo, imagine you out there like. And being able to play college basketball, like, yo, that, bro, it's hard to do that. Like, as a freshman, and you're, like, the focal point of offense with teams scouting you at, at that level. And it's like, it was crazy to see them be able to do that. And then, obviously, Quinn Cook was a DMV guy. So, like, we were room for him uh, to, like, to do well. Um, you know, so that was a special team, too, like, to, to watch. I mean, really, like, that was my first year. Like, dang, like, you really coming of age. It's like, yo, these, are, these dudes are really getting it done at this level. So that's another team that uh, I always, I always root for. Like I always like. Now I follow those guys too. Like even in the league now, like I was rooting for Tyus Jones. You know he's like been a solid backup point guard now in the NBA. I want Justin Winslow to hopefully get back healthy, man. He he was showing some promise early in his career. Me and you both, bro. Me and you both. Stay healthy. Like I think he could do a lot for that Memphis team. You know Memphis just kind of like 
I don't know what's up, you know, but he, I mean, he's a guy that I hope does well. Um, obviously, Jaloka for man, I think he was one of those guys that like, he just, he just, he was like 10 years too late. Like if he would have came around like in the early 2000s when like bigs were really featured, um, he would have had a right, all-star level career. But he literally came in the league at like just the wrong time when the NBA was transitioning away from like throwing in the low post and having bigs actually like back down and stuff. Now everybody's playing on the perimeter. You got guys like Bam Adebayo and Jokic that's handling the ball and stuff. So, you know, it's unfortunate, man. But like I said, that that, that Duke team, man, like what they did in college, like you could never, ever, ever take that away from, from, from them, ever. Let's talk about some of our favorite players. And I want to start with Jalen on this one. Who is your favorite player in the March Madness tournament? Favorite player in March Madness tournament overall? Man, that's tough. That's tough. Um, shoot, I have to really go through the archives, but I'm gonna go with I'm gonna go with Harrison Barnes right now, just out of the mere fact that, like I said, this is a guy who like really helped put me on to UNC because, like I said, I really adopted my dad's team like early on in terms of going out to college basketball, and I've watched Harrison Barnes like way way more closely than anybody is watching Harrison Barnes. I promise you, there's nobody calling up, having pulling up Harrison Barnes highlights like I am, and I've literally been to the point that recently when I was trying to put up a trade scenario um, stuff for an article that I'm working on in the NBA, I actually pulled up some of his old footage to see how he's, how his game has changed now that he's slowly becoming a first slash second option with Sacramento, just to see how he slowly adapted his game and how that could adapt to some of these other rosters that I've tried to pinpoint him onto. So he's been a guy that I've just paid a scary amount of attention to in college basketball. Um, I'll tell you this overall, though, this year, um, I won't say he's my favorite player, but a guy that I think is, like, really interesting in terms of this postseason is the big lumberer that is Nemius Keita, bro. I think him for Utah State is going to be, like, a really interesting character against Texas Tech because I don't think anybody's going to be able to handle him down low. And that's been a guy that I've been watching, Double Double Machine, I think he's a really interesting guy. As a guy who pays a lot of attention to, like, NBA prospects, I think he's a guy who, in a class where centers are not very abundant, it's a lot of guards and a lot of wings in this draft specifically, I think Nemius Keita is, like, one of the most interesting guys ever because he has, like, it's weird. He has, like, a Rudy Gobert to him with the way that he defends the rim, but he has, like, some Miles Turner in him, too. Not as a stretch big, but, like, Nemes Keita as a big in this draft specifically is something that's, like, interesting. So, watching this year, he's, like, a underrated guy that I've kind of kept my eye on. Uh, Kessler Edwards for Pepperdine is another dude who um, I've been looking at a lot lately. But, like, overall in, like, NCAA history, yeah. Off the top, Harris, I have a Harrison Barnes obsession that is probably unnatural to be honest Aaron I want to continue with you on this one who is one of your favorite March Madness basketball players of all time yeah for me this is an easy call as soon as you asked the question I knew it was only one answer for this question for me and it's Steph Curry 2008 oh my god <laughs> it's not close no no that's not it's, true it's not close I can't wait close I can't wait to it's my turn it's not close I'm gonna I'm gonna trust <laughs> it's not close I can't it's, not, wait. it's not close Steph Curry 08 NCAA tournament. Let's let's read you. I'm gonna read you his pass. All right. First round game. <laughs> they were a 10 seed, Davidson. They're playing Gonzaga, seven seed. Steph Curry has 40 points. They won 82 to 76. Second round, 
They're seeing the second seed Georgetown as an area guy. This this game haunted me. I I I mean I I have nightmares about this game to this day. Um, Georgetown is up forty six to twenty nine with seventeen minutes to go. Davidson comes back and wins seventy four to seventy. Steph Curry has thirty. Sweet sixteen. They play the third seed Wisconsin. Um, they're tied thirty six thirty six at halftime. Um. Davidson ends up winning 73 to 56. Steph Curry has 33 points, right? It's now a third straight game, scoring at least 30. You've been the seventh seed, the two seed, and the three seed. You go to the Elite Eight, you're facing the one seed, Kansas. And this is this is this is where the story comes to an end. They, 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 they lose 59 to 57 the Elite Eight to Kansas. He has a he has an off night at 25. So you go, you go in the NCAA tournament, 40, 30. 33, 25 against a one seed, a two seed, a three seed, and a seven seed. There's no way. Like, I, he was baking dudes. <laughs> <laughs> baking. Like, <laughs> he was baking dudes. Like, like Chef, that started back in the tournament. Like, <laughs> like, he was out there putting dudes on the grill. I'll never forget that that run. Um, I mean, this is that Davidson, who's now in the A-10, but, like, like back then, I believe they were, they were in, like, the SoCon doing this, like, it was an unbelievable run. And that's my favorite tournament run of all time. Steph Curry, 08, the way he did was, was absolutely un, unfathomable at the time. You did a great job, you know, you did a great job, you know, admirable, admirable, admirable. <laughs> um, you know, I think, I think this, you know, hey, yo. I'm glad that that's your favorite March Madness run, but undeniably the greatest March Madness run in the history, because. He lost, Steph lost. So the greatest March Madness run ever. And I, I, I honestly, we, have, we all four of us must issue this man an apology because we've been on this podcast since 2 p.m. It's now 3.38 p.m. We've been talking about favorite teams run and we haven't mentioned this man's name. So matter of fact, y'all need to apologize because I'm going to mention his name. I'm glad you asked me this question. <clears throat> Cardiac Kemba. Oh my God. <laughs> 2011. That's a good one. And the run, the run started before the NCAA tournament. Yeah. In the Big East tournament, when they had to win five games, not four. They didn't have a bye, not three. They didn't have a bye. They had to win five games in the Big East tournament. Now, let me go through because he wanted to give, let me go through his run. All right. (laughs) First game versus DePaul, cakewalk. But Kemba goes for 26, five and five. You know what? CJ won the Big East tournament? They had to be a double digit seed. They, yeah. they had to play five games. A double digit seed in the Big East, they're playing on the first night. 26, five and five, right? DePaul. Second game, they're playing number 22 ranked team in the country in Georgetown. I had uh, Jason Clark, Austin Freeman, Hollis Thompson. Oof. 28, 28, next. Then they, see, <laughs> then they see the number three team in the country, Pitt. This is where he made big boys fall off the snatch cross. The yep. most legendary probably game winner in the history of the Big East tournament. You know, Kemba Walker says them packing. Um, that, that team was crazy. Ashton Gibbs, Brad Wanamaker, who was on the Celtic last year, is now on the Warriors. Crazy team, obviously. Next game, is she the number 11th ranked team in the country, Syracuse, who had Scoop Jardine, Chris Joseph, Brandon Trish, CJ Fair, Fab Mello, and Deion Waiters. Sent them packing, goes for 33 points, five assists, 12 rebounds, and six steals in the semifinals of the Big East Tournament versus Syracuse. Then Louisville in the championship game 
Uh, he, he had a, 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 a slow 19 points in the chip. They win the Big East. Then they go into the tournament, and we obviously know what happens in the NCAA tournament. Six straight games. They won 11 straight games in March as a double-digit seed in the Big East tournament. And they won. He single-handedly willed UConn to a national championship in every single game. Like, I mean, we that is the single greatest run in the history of March Madness if you look at from the conference tournament to March. And a team that you, nobody had UConn win the championship. And he won 11 straight games by himself. So, I mean, I think that's an easy choice. Well, I won't say he was by himself. Jamie Lamb had a hell of a run that year. They he had a freshman. He was they a puppy. Him, Shabazz, Napier, they had a great team. He was a puppy. All them dudes, NBA, NBA players. Kemba, Shabazz, Napier. Kemba Walker. Uh, Kemba Jeremy Walker. Lamb. Carried them. Carried them. Carried them there. Through March in the Big East tournament. I mean, look, I'm, I'm pretty, I'm pretty articles on Google. Kemba Walker's 20 tournament run was the greatest tournament run of all time. Like, absolutely, <laughs> the headline of the article. So, hey, man, I might drop. Somebody got a point with that one, Ryan. Kimball was a was a problem. I'm surprised <laughs> we I'm surprised we didn't bring it up. In the American Conference that year. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but he didn't, he hadn't won five games. And, and mind you, this is the Big East. This is like, and me and Ace talked about the last couple of years, this is the prime Big East. Like, this mm-hmm. ain't no, this is when the Big East was jumping. Syracuse, Louisville, Pitt, Georgetown, Villanova. Like, this is West Virginia, Cincinnati. This is when the Big East was like the best conference in the country. You know what I'm saying? This is when the biggest was at the top of his game, and he ran through that. You know what I'm saying? He went. He did. He went to Georgetown, Syracuse, Pitt, and Louisville, Louisville, and Louisville to win the Big East. <laughs> that's ridiculous. It's ridiculous. <laughs> Yo, that's nuts. I think we just might just need to end it there. I was about to just say, I yeah. You know, it's time to send it back. I mean, Kip was a dog, though, bro. I mean, that's the biggest thing about it. And I mean, I mean, you could argue, right? Because I would say Shabazz Napier wasn't Shabazz Napier that got drafted, you know, on that team specifically. But I think you could argue that that year for like you like uh, you guys brought up uh, Jeremy Lamb. I would say that postseason run for Jeremy Lamb was kind of the same thing that happened with Dante DiVincenzo in terms of literally playing himself into an NBA prospect. Like, I literally think that without that run, I don't see, I don't think they would have translated the same way. Yeah, he came back to school number year after that. Yeah, he was came back, he came back next year. So next year, he was like, all right, yeah, it's me. So before we go to our, our question of the day for our fans, it's only fitting that we give our final thoughts to Aaron and Andrew. So, Aaron, you can go first, man. Some of your final thoughts to close out this episode. Yeah, man. I mean, I think, you know, I'm, I'm just excited for the game to start on Thursday. I think it's going to be a fun tournament, man. This is going to be the craziest tournament that we've seen, I think, in the history of college basketball because of the coronavirus and just the parity. We've, I mean, if you look at the mid-major landscape happening in the conference tournaments, I believe there was like seven one-bid leagues that had like number one seeds losing the conference tournament. And, I, and it, it might have been more, but I think, I know at one point I was watching, there was, like, was like seven one-bid one seeds that lost in the conference tournament. So I think this, 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 you look at it, the way college basketball has been going on all year with all these upsets. This tournament is going to be complete pandemonium. We sat here talking about upsets for 30 minutes. And I think there's going to be upsets that we didn't even call that are going to happen. You could be like, oh, my God, because it happens every year. Like Houston. Yeah, Houston. We didn't talk about Houston, Cleveland State. I think, I think that they're upset alert as well. But there's going to mm-hmm. be some teams that we aren't even going to be thinking about that are going to lose. Like, they're going to be teams we didn't mention in the old podcast, and they're going to lose. Like, like West Virginia. Some crazy thing is going to happen. So – I'm excited to see what happens, man. Andrew, just to continue, you know, any final thoughts? 
Yeah, man. And this, I mean, I'm, I'm like you said, man. I'm, I'm, I'm excited for Gonzaga. Um, excited for Gonzaga. I want them to hopefully finish this runoff, you know, 32 and 0, and then um, their win streak is going to continue into next season because they're probably going to get Chet Holmgren. Um, the Chet Holmgren is probably going to commit there. Him and Jalen Suggs are best friends. He's Gonzaga is a crystal ball pick there. Andrew Nemhard is going to come back. Drew Timmy is going to come back, and they're in the run for um, Hunter Salas who is the 13th ranked player in the country, five-star recruit, McDonald's All-American. Um, he has Gonzaga in his final list of schools. So if they get Hunter Salas, Chet Holmgren, then Nemhard, Drew Timmy comes back, they're going to be right back in next year. Like, they, they, they could legitimately go 32-0, and they start next year off 10-0, we get to WCC, you know what I'm saying? They might have, like, a 50-something game win streak going at one point next year. So, hey, man, it's 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 – the future is looking bright, you know, out there in Spokane for Mark Few, man. So hopefully that they can get this national title, um, keep the momentum into recruiting for next year and see if we can get like a, you know, a 50, 60 game win streak for this ads. Jalen, any final thoughts to close out the episode? Bro, my my final uh, final thoughts is Andrew, Aaron, uh, shout out to you guys for coming on the show for sure. That's, uh, I mean, it means a lot. I think for – me, my biggest takeaway is that I know I got to get my college basketball up. Y'all are spitting game over here, and it only kind of gets me more hype for this tournament, but it also makes me want to become even more reflective about some of the past tournaments because one of the things that was interesting, you know, I had mentioned like Harrison Barnes being one of my favorite players in college basketball, but I swear, I think if I had really sat down and gone, gone through the archives, could have plucked out a player from every single season. Um so I'm just really interested, you know, taking a lot of the conversations that we've had so far to really go back and look back at some of these older teams starting from when I first started watching college basketball up to this point and maybe even a little bit before. And in terms of this tournament, I think pandemonium is the word of the day, bro. Pandemonium is, I mean, I, that might even be an understatement. I mean, I have Utah State potentially taking out uh, – Texas Tech, I thought that one was another one that was kind of interesting to Houston losing to Cleveland State. I'm going to have to really look into that one. I must be sleeping on Cleveland State, so I'm going uh, to check that out. But I think the biggest thing with this is everybody get your brackets ready, bro, because no, it's about to be a problem. Ready. Get the lighter ready yeah. to burn the bracket after the, <laughs> after the first weekend. Because it's going to be done. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone's bracket oh, who thinks that they're going to, oh, I got the good picks. By the, by the next weekend, everybody's brackets are going to be in smoke. Oh, for sure, bro. I would, hey, I would do it for the fun of it, but don't be surprised if I post like four of them joints on Instagram. For sure. <laughs> I'll probably make three. I'll probably make two more today. So we would once again like to thank our guests, Aaron and Andrew Robinson from All Facts Media. Everybody go follow them on Instagram at All Facts Media. Check out their podcast as well. What's, what's the name of your podcast and where can people find it? It's called The Auto Bid. Uh, you can find it on uh, Apple Podcasts or on Spotify. It's also linked on our website, allfactsmediainc.com. We had uh, Luca Garza on at the beginning of the year. And then we've had like a bunch of guys. We had Darius McGee, who won the Player of the Year in the Atlantic Sun. We had um, Alex Morales, who won Player of the Year in the NEC. We had Anthony Tark and Nenda Tark. Anthony Tark won Player of the Year in the MEAC. Nenda Tark won Rookie of the Year in the MEAC. Mm -hmm. um, we've had A.J. Wilson on. He set, set the single-season blocks record at George Mason or for a career. Um, we've had a couple of coaches that, that have, yeah, yeah, Manny Capital on, he won player of the year in the MAC. Um, we've had Leonard Hamilton on, we've had Josh Pathner on, Steve Forbes, head coach at Week Forest. We've, we've had some, we've had some, some good guests on, man. Definitely check us out on YouTube, we're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify. So definitely, definitely tune in, man.
Absolutely. Absolutely. So transitioning to our question of the day for our fans, which team do you believe is on upset alert? We would once again like to thank our guests, Aaron and Andrew Robinson from All Facts Media. We would love to have you guys on again, and we'll see you guys next episode. Peace.